So for AF's practice for employee benefit plans, um, we audit and consult with over 130 plans annually. And one of the most common observations and recommendations we typically have for plan sponsors really relates to plan oversight and ensuring that regulatory compliance is being met and that you're protecting your employees and the participants within your 403B or your 401K plan. So the area that we oftentimes look at and make recommendations on has to do with making sure you're meeting your plan fiduciary responsibilities. We'll give you a couple of key takeaways today so that you can take these back if you're a plan trustee or a plan sponsor and make sure that you're doing and taking the steps necessary to protect your fiduciary risks. Um, we'll look at who are the plan fiduciaries. In a lot of cases, folks aren't sure who meets the definition of a fiduciary and who does not. What requirements do the fiduciaries have under ERISA? And can fiduciary liability be shifted or transferred to other advisors? So in the end, you should be able to take some of these uh, facts along with you, and we'll also share with you at the end, actually on your tables, you have these little tents that have a little URL link, and through that link you can get access to our fiduciary checklist, which you can use to make sure you're meeting all of those requirements and you're keeping all the documentation that's needed. So who are the plan fiduciaries? There's really two types of plan fiduciaries. There's a named fiduciary and there's a functional fiduciary. Named fiduciaries would show up and appear in your plan document. Maybe you have trustees, plan trustees that are defined in your plan document, your, your adoption agreement. Um, you may designate an oversight committee. Maybe you look to your finance committee. Maybe finance committee has responsibility for your retirement plan. Maybe you've designated a retirement committee or an investment committee. What's important here is that you're really defining who those members are, who really has oversight and responsibility for that plan. Um, you could also have fiduciary advisors. So there's two different types of fiduciary advisors which we'll get into in a second. And you may name them, you may hire an advisor who will help guide you through the process of making sure that you're meeting your fiduciary responsibilities. Then probably a little more close to home is within your administrative offices. So who is a functional fiduciary? Do you have plan administrators in your office? Could be the CFO, could be HR, could be your payroll department. Again, payroll, when you think about your plan, you've got participants who are submitting requests to have a component of their paycheck withheld and put into the plan. Is your payroll department functioning as a fiduciary? And the documentation obviously is very critical. You want to define who your fiduciaries are and you want to have a record of that and keep that in your compliance binder for your plan. The other piece that I would also give caution to is many times your plan document, which is the overriding really legal document that defines who your fiduciaries are and what your responsibilities are and how you're going to operate your plan, that plan document oftentimes will define exactly who your fiduciaries are. So make sure you take a look at that and, uh, and make sure you're following that plan document. So fiduciary responsibilities. What are, the, what are the responsibilities that some of you that are in this room may have? Your finance committees. Ultimately, you're looking at making sure you're protecting and acting solely in the interest of your participants and the beneficiaries. If you think about how many hundreds of employees and thousands of employees may be all in, in, in these retirement plans that all of you help administer, 
Ultimately, it's making sure you're protecting their benefits. And that's what the Department of Labor is most concerned with, is making sure that every plan is operating appropriately. You're monitoring your plan, making sure that you're making policies and you're making decisions that are protecting your employees and protecting your plan and keeping your participants whole. In many cases, we talk about monitoring service providers. So what is the responsibility the plan administrators have and those fiduciaries have in making sure you might have hired an advisor and that advisor is helping you look at what funds you're going to make available within your plan, how you're going to operate your plan, or what responsibility do you have to make sure you're keeping an eye on them. You've got to monitor any advisors or anyone that you outsource those responsibilities to. At the bottom of this diagram, you'll see that this item ensuring the plan pays only reasonable fees. This has been a very hot topic in recent years. There's been a lot of high profile uh, lawsuits and court cases that have come up. Um, cheaper is not always better, but it's a, a matter of defining exactly what services you're getting and how you're justifying those expenses that you're paying and who you're hiring and what expertise they bring to the table in order to make sure you're supporting the plan the best you can and your participants that are in that plan. So shifting fiduciary liabilities to other, we talked a little bit about how you're monitoring that. So there's typically two types of advisors that you can shift responsibilities to. There's an investment manager, a 338 investment manager. You may have heard that terminology. That's typically the advisor who you would give the most control to. And that advisor would really have a lot of discretion. Um, they would have the ability to select which funds you're going to have within your plan. So if you are using a particular record keeper, a custodian that's making available certain funds, they really, you're delegating discretion to them to pick those funds and make those funds available to your participants. And you still have a responsibility to monitor what they're doing, but they have the most discretion. Then a step down from there would be a 321 fiduciary, which would have significantly less responsibility than a 338 uh, advisor. And they would typically recommend, they would assist you in making sure you're meeting res fiduciary responsibilities. And they would really provide advice to the plan sponsor and to the participants if needed. But they don't have the same discretion as a 338 advisor. So as we've mentioned, you certainly can shift responsibilities to advisors, but it doesn't remove the duty that you have to monitor those advisors and making sure that they're doing the right thing for the plan. The ultimate responsibility really does lie with the plan sponsor and the fiduciaries that you've assigned there. So as far as the key takeaways go that you can uh, bring back to your, to your companies and uh, really help that you're meeting, uh, ensure that you're meeting all of your fiduciary responsibilities, um, documentation is the key. Really documenting who your plan fiduciaries are, what their responsibilities will be, if you have select skills, maybe certain uh, members of your finance committee or your retirement committee have specific skills that they have, what is their responsibility going to be as a fiduciary? Assigning a plan oversight committee that will meet regularly. Um, you're going to want to make sure that they have either an annual or semi-annual meeting. Maybe meet with your advisor if they're coming out to, um, to go over investments with you. And certainly working with your 338 or 321 advisor to monitor, monitor those investments select the investments that work best for your population and making sure that you're retaining materials for your review of investments. At least annually you should be looking at the investment options that you're making available to your participants and making sure that they're, they're meeting your criteria and um, how you've defined what would be the best investments for you in your investment policy statement. And keeping minutes. That would probably be the number one recommendation I would have for all of you. If you have a committee that's going to meet and do all this work, that they keep minutes that document all the decisions that they've made. 
That's going to be the number one thing that the Department of Labor will ask you for as a plan sponsor when they come out. If they come out and evaluate your plan or review your plan, they're going to look for minutes of your plan oversight committee to see that you're really monitoring the plan and doing your due diligence as fiduciaries. And keeping a compliance binder is always helpful. There's a lot of documents and a lot of work that goes into these retirement plans. There's discrimination testing on some plans. There's 5,500 forms that get filed to the IRS every year. Um, there's a lot of oversight and minutes and all this stuff that you're collecting that helps support uh, your monitoring the plan. Keep all that information in a compliance binder. It just helps you stay organized and helps you uh, support the information that the Department of Labor would ask you for. And as we mentioned, we've made available to all of you. It's uh, on the website, and you can click on the link that's uh, on those tents there. Um, so you can get access to that fiduciary uh, checklist, which we think is a great guide for all of you that might have questions. Um, are there any questions in the office, or any questions here in the audience? Hi. I'm wondering if you could share with us um, the percentage of plans that are reviewed by the Department of Labor, and if you could shed further light, especially relative to plan sizes that might relate to people in this room. So we're probably not interested in Raytheon size plans, mm -hmm. but maybe plans that might be more applicable to people in the room. Thank you. That's a good question. Um, the Department of Labor's focus really in recent years has been on high-risk plans, and they've defined high-risk plans as um, health and welfare plans, defined benefit old pension plan, uh, old pension plans that have a, um, a defined benefit that they're providing to uh, participants, and 403B plans. Um, so they are looking at 403B plans, and they're looking at um, especially oversight and looking at the investment options because for many, many years, up until 2009, there really was no oversight or no reporting to the Department of Labor, or minimal reporting to the Department of Labor for 403Bs. So they are focusing now at looking at uh, 403Bs and making sure that there is someone minding the store, there is somebody who's making sure that um, you're meeting that compliance. The Department of Labor does look at a number of plans every year, but they don't report those statistics as to how many that they evaluate and, and provide an audit for annually. One more. Hi. Um, so our, I, I work at a historical museum. So our board of directors is you know, historians, uh, some lawyers, not a lot of finance industry people. So the plan oversight committee, if I was to assemble a specific committee separate from the finance committee, um, I mean, would I just be getting outside advisors to, and maybe one or two board members, because we wouldn't have many board members that would have that skill set. Yes, so again, the risk, the risk really is looking at how do you evaluate um, those investments, and how can you make those decisions. Um, there's a lot that goes into selecting those investments. There's different class funds, different class types of investments, uh, mutual funds, Maybe you want select class of, of mutual funds. What are the expenses that are associated with those funds? And what are the performance histories? I think having a good advisor um, really goes a long way uh, to make sure that you're doing your due diligence on those funds and you're able to make the best decisions to make the right funds available for your participants.